You know, it's one thing to read about stuttering or fluency disorders in a textbook or a journal article, and it's another to actually listen to people who stutter about the experiences that they've lived. And it really helps you, like you, like you always say, Greg, like consider like what's below the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of people don't know about, you know, the underneath. So I think that that's had like an impact on me and how I approach um, my clients with, with fluency disorders. Welcome to Some Stutter Law, Newfoundland Labrador's first podcast about stuttering. My name is Greg O'Grady, and I'm a person who stutters and a co-host of Some Stutter Law, Newfoundland Labrador's first podcast about stuttering, along with my co-host. And I'm Caitlin Mayo. I'm a speech-language pathology student, and I'm Greg's co-host on this podcast. Some Stutter Law mission is dismantling and rebuilding stuttering. Let's start listening. Some stutter law mandate is in the spirit of Newfoundland and Labrador's humor, robust and frank interactive discussions. Some stutter law podcast aims to rebuild confidence and hope for today's and tomorrow's person who happens to stutter by dismantling stuttering myths, stigma, stereotypes, and barriers. The objectives of Some Stutter Law podcast are supporting, raising awareness, and increasing understanding and acceptance of stuttering. Providing people who stutter, their families, professionals, students, and the general public with current information, research, and resources about stuttering, and promoting advocacy and support for people who stutter. Today's uh, uh, some stutter law wel- you know, welcomes uh, Laura, Laura Talk. So, uh, Laura, thank you for joining us uh, this morning. So, 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 Laura. Could you tell our, our, our listeners a little bit uh, about who Laura Talk is? Sure thing. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, so I'm a speech pathology graduate student. I'm about to start my second year in September. Um, in the past, I've worked in collaboration with the Newfoundland and Labrador Stuttering Association to create a short documentary about stuttering. I've done um, a fluency placement just recently, and I'm a member of the NLSA Collaborative. So I'm really interested in fluency and helping people who stutter, and I'm super happy to be here today. Great, Laura. Great, uh, Laura. You know, what was was it that sparked your interest in in being a speech language pathologist, and uh, what you know what made you decide? this was the career for you? Sure. So I've never been, well, I have, I wasn't one of those people, you know, who wanted to be a speech pathologist since I was a kid and myself or my family members, like we didn't have personal experience with SLPs. So it's something that I kind of came into late, I guess. Like I started doing my undergraduate degree in linguistics and the more classes I took, the more I realized that linguistics or a tangentially related career um, would be a good fit for me. I really liked that intersection between language and science. And I felt like I was problem solving, but with words and sounds instead of with numbers. Um, And then I don't know if somebody told me or if I had looked it up somewhere um, that a lot of linguistics majors went on to continue their studies to become SLPs. 
Um, so then I looked further into speech pathology and I started volunteering with a speech pathologist and I kind of just found my niche, I guess. Like I love the aspect of being able to interact with so many different people and like the exciting, ever-changing um, clients and research and how it would let me be creative, but scientific in approach. Um, yeah, so I guess like all those things combined kind of solidified my interest in this career. And also I just love talking um, in general. So I felt like <laughs> it would be a good fit. So outside of fluency and stuttering, which is somewhere, I mean, we'll definitely talk about that a little more in the podcast. Um, uh, and I know you've done a lot of work with that. What are some of your interests outside of fluency in the realm of speech pathology? Sure. Um, so beyond fluency, I'm really interested in articulation and phonological disorders. And a bit of that I feel like is like the byproduct of, of having an undergrad degree in linguistics because it just felt really natural um, to learn the theory behind it and then to start doing intervention and assessment in those areas. When I did um, my school board placement, I had a lot of Arctic kids um, having therapy. So that was something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, beyond that, some areas that I'm interested in that I haven't had as much experience with would be um, literacy, social communication, and accent modification. So those are things that I haven't dipped my toe into yet, but the, the background knowledge I, I really like. Lots of very cool things. <laughs> Lots of so many, so many cool things to study. Um, so focusing a bit on some of the work you've done with fluency, uh, last summer, before you started your graduate program, you worked on a documentary that you mentioned with uh, the NLSA. Do you want to share a little bit about that? I know myself and Greg were involved, so we kind of have an idea, but for people who are listening and haven't heard about it, do you want to talk about your experience working on the documentary and everything like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, back in the winter of 2020, just as I was finishing up my undergrad, Paul, um, Dr. Decker approached me and he suggested that I apply for a summer research grant. Um, and prior to this, Paul had been in contact with Greg and the NLSA. So we kind of chatted a bit about what would make a good project and what research proposal we could submit um, to the application. So we landed on my project, which was a sociolinguistic study of the perception of stuttering. And it was in collaboration with the NLSA. Um, and our goal was really to challenge um, prevent and dismantle stigma towards people who stutter and stuttering. And we wanted to do this through encouraging stuttering acceptance and awareness. So while the end product was the short documentary, we started off with a, um, a literature review. So I worked initially with Paul and John Garson, who you guys also interviewed, um, and Caitlin, my, who was my lovely research assistant all summer. So thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> um, so we started off with like a literature review just to get a better idea of the current research that was being conducted about perceptions of stuttering, both from people who stutter themselves and the general public. Then once I had those results, I created a survey that we sent out um, to people who stutter, health professionals and the general public to gather um, perceptions from our community, from Newfoundland, 
Um, and then kind of once we had that, we brought the project to life with the Getting the Words Out documentary. Um, and then, so Greg, of course, was one of the people that we interviewed and other members of the NLSA and the stuttering community as well. Um, so yeah, I guess that was kind of the process of getting to the documentary. Well, uh, Lori, no, thank you for, for do, you know, doing the documentary because I mean your your team you know, you know really helped to to raise awareness about stuttering in in our province, and you also helped to you know to raise you know you know raise you know raise raise awareness about the Newfoundland Laboratory Stuttering Association. So thank you very much. So, uh, uh, so Laura, how did you feel, you know, you know, you know, this, you know, this doc, documentary, you know, had a, you know, had a you know, meaningful impact on, 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 on the stuttering community before and even, uh, even starting your graduate program? Sure. Um, so I think that the, the project did have like a positive impact on the stuttering community here, just like, especially in the realm of awareness, since we have had that project. I mean, you guys have started this wonderful podcast and been featured on some news stations and our short doc was nominated for an award. And now we have the NLSA collaborative project. So I'm quite happy like with the, with starting off with a little snowball that has now turned into a, a much bigger snowball um, of stuttering awareness. <laughs> so I think that's really great. And I think it's kind of offered me or given me this unique um, kind of insight in, into people who stutter, which I wouldn't have had um, prior to entering grad school. Like I think you know, it's one thing to read about stuttering or fluency disorders in a textbook or a journal article, and it's another to actually listen to people who stutter about the experiences that they've lived. Um, and it really helps you, like you, like you always say, Greg, like consider like what's below the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of people don't know about, you know, the underneath. So I think that that's had like an impact on me and how I approach um, my clients with, with fluency disorders. Great, Laura. Uh, Laura, you know, what ad advice would would you give the public who are looking looking to be allies and supporters of people who stutter? I like that question because I've had a lot of people ask me about it since since I did the project. So I guess I'll, I've kind of just always echoed what I've been told by the people I've interviewed and now by the clients that I've treated. So, and I mean, I feel like a lot of this is common decency that you should do when you're having uh, an interaction with anybody. Um, so being like a good communication partner for somebody who stutters, being patient and kind, um, refraining from finishing sentences, um, which I've heard kind of like both ends from some people say if it's a close family member or a friend, they don't mind as much. But I think if you're a stranger or an acquaintance, it's best to err on the side of caution because you often have no idea what the person is going to be saying and it's it's rude it's cutting people off so don't do that um 
you know, focusing on the content of what is being said rather than how it's being said. Um, and then keep making eye contact. And I guess like in terms of being a more active ally or supporter, and Greg, you can probably speak on this a bit more. Um, if you volunteer with like a local stuttering association, like the, N like the NLSA, um, I know the NLSA has like their five kilometer walk, run, roll, participating in that, um, donating. Um, feel free to chime in, Greg. Yeah, I mean, uh, Laura, Laura I, uh, oh, I agree because you know, the, you know, the people who who stutter need uh, need al allies, and uh, you know, because you know, having al you know, once you know, once in the we have allies that are you know that that that, that you know uh, you know that understand you know the you know you know the you know what you know what the stuttering is like 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 you know like you 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 know you and Caitlin for example you know you you're you know you're able to be our supporters and you know you also you know you also are able to to educate other other people as well you know yep definitely and I guess like that's the big piece like education and awareness if you don't have that it's going to be hard to to find those allies who are out there, but they just you know might not know enough. So I think that this podcast is really important for that reason. Sharing sharing resources is so important too. We we create this podcast and we created that documentary, but if we don't share it around and talk about it, then nobody's going to get that knowledge or that education. So sharing on Facebook, talking about it with your friends and family who might otherwise never hear about stuttering. Things like that are so important as well. And that's, a, I think, a really great way to, to be an ally and a supporter is just to share share the knowledge and just as much as you can. Yeah, for sure. So I want to talk now a little bit about your grad school experience as a whole, um, moving away from the documentary a little bit and kind of uh, the, the stuttering and the fluency work and just a broad, a broad approach. Uh, your first semester of grad school was online, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> um, so do you want to talk a bit about uh, doing online school during the pandemic and your first semester of uh, your graduate program, kind of what expectations you had, how it went, just anything you want to share? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think it was definitely like a challenging but exciting semester. I found it hard to start such an intense program by myself in my bedroom, thanks COVID. Um, but despite those challenges, it was still like a really exciting and interesting time because like being in that environment surrounded by your classmates and your professors who have the same interests and goals as you like to help people communicate and connect with others. It's like a very solidifying experience, I guess, like that, that you belong here and that this is the right place for you and you're going to learn so many things that you've been wanting to learn for so long so like that part was exciting um i don't know like i'm going to say exciting so much i don't know if i had any expectations besides it being exciting and challenging and i think that it met those expectations um but most of all i was just really happy um to be in such like a, support, a supportive environment with people like my classmates and professors who really care about the field. Um, I guess just like more specifically about online learning, which is 
not my personal strong suit. I would much prefer be like in an actual classroom. Um, you know, sometimes it's physically hard to stay in one spot for such a long period of time, day in and day out taking classes. So I would suggest investing in a comfortable desk chair to anyone who might be in the same situation. Um, yeah, and then I guess like from an academic perspective, I think the quality of the lectures is still the same. It's just more like you're missing out on that personal aspect, like the face-to-face -face interactions and incidental learning opportunities, like talking to your profs after class and, and that kind of thing. Um, so there sometimes can be like a little bit of a disconnect between you and the program, or at least in my personal experience, because you're not physically with anyone. So that can be difficult, but I think just like staying on top of things and taking advantage of online office hours and emailing and, you know, group projects through Zoom and um, virtual social nights and stuff really, really helps with that aspect. So I, I want to ask a question, mostly for myself, but also for anybody else listening um, who might be in the same boat. So just to preface this, my whole application for grad school would not have been possible without Laura. She, her advice and support was like the biggest thing ever when I was working on my applications. And so I was wondering if you wanted to share some advice for any students who are working on applications and also for students like me who are preparing for their first semester and are maybe a little nervous because I am definitely nervous. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, Caitlin's so sweet. I'm definitely not an application guru or anything, but I help when I can. Um, I guess like, um, I'll start off, I guess, Caitlin, with people in your situation who are about to start grad school. Um, okay, I would say, at least in my program, I think in most SLP programs, there are lots of projects, whether that be individual or group. And I would say, you know, start tackling them as soon as possible, like one step at a time, because things can can pile up if you don't. That's just like a bit of things I've learned from making mistakes myself. So if I could go back, I'd probably start projects a little bit earlier. Um, you know, not stressing about every minute detail that your prof covers in a lecture and focusing more on really understanding that bigger picture and always thinking to yourself, like, how is this going to help me as a future clinician? And how is this going to help my future clients? Like, it's really about in grad school learning material to understand it and then apply it as opposed to memorizing facts for a test like, like undergrad. Um, so that can kind of be like a shift in mentality. I know a lot of people applying to speech pathology grad programs are pretty like, you know, type A competitive, wanting to get the best grades all the time. And that's not always possible in grad school just because of like the sheer amount of information. Um, so kind of just really focusing on, on studying to learn instead of studying to memorize is a bit of like a shift that you have to make in your um, mentality, I guess I would say. Um, and then finally, like in terms of the first semester of grad school, I think it's the same for a lot of programs. Um, it's pretty like foundational courses, so it's not always the most clinically applicable, or it might not be the most interesting thing to you. Like maybe you're not super jazzed about anatomy, like don't tell anyone, but personally I wasn't either. Um, so it's kind of just thinking like, okay, don't lose sight of, of why you're here. Like the first semester might be a little bit difficult, but you know, 
it's easy to to get a little bit overwhelmed and I'd say just like don't lose sight of why you want to be an SLP in the first place um it's like a really rewarding and exciting time so don't let yourself get too bogged down or or nervous I know that's not always something people can can control obviously but like just really enjoying the experience to the fullest um I would say and then oh I should talk about for applications I guess I don't know I mean I think like don't get too I don't know, like bogged down about writing the quote unquote perfect statement of purpose. I think just like being honest and genuine and highlighting your strengths. Um, I don't know. I was, I was kind of lost when I was writing my applications too. I just did my best. I don't know. Yeah. My, my big thing is to make sure you have a support system and to ask questions because that I, I needed that support system and I needed to ask my questions to Laura and yeah. have a bunch of people read over my my personal statement and everything. Yeah, definitely. Like if you know somebody who's who's gone to grad school for speech pathology, I'd say just like reach out to them and ask them for a bit of, you know, tips and tricks. It will probably quell your anxieties a bit and make things run a bit more smoothly. So that's good advice, Caitlin. And there's and there's lots of resources online, even if you don't know anybody who's in SLP, there's lots of resources online for people all applying to SLP and you can get advice there. And also, even if you have a support system and they have no idea about grad school applications or SLP or anything, it is so important because it is literally the most draining and just like, it's terrible, but it's so worth it. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely worth it in the end. All the stress becomes like background noise afterwards, so. Um, and so a little bit more about your experience in the program, uh, I guess with your with your placements, you've done two placements now and both have been remote. Um, and so did you wanna share a little bit about your experience working as a student clinician and in, in those placements and also a little bit about kind of how teletherapy worked and how these placements worked remotely. Um, so my first placement was with the schools here in Newfoundland and I worked with elementary school students so from kindergarten to about grade five I think was the oldest one that I treated. Um, so this was a placement that was originally supposed to be in person but you know I was lucky enough that as soon as it started, we had our big COVID wave. So plans changed and we moved to teletherapy instead. So it was something that I was initially pretty disappointed about, but I was kind of surprised at how, like how rewarding it still was and how much of a difference I could still feel. I still felt that I could make virtually. Um, and I had a really amazing SLP supervisor who was super willing to let me try new things and learn and grow and make mistakes and kind of just, you know, jump in and, and practice. So that was really exciting. Um, and then the kids that I had on that caseload were mostly articulation, language, and voice clients, um, which was nice. I liked, I liked that client population and kids are always so funny. Um, so, I mean, in terms of teletherapy, I mean, I think it's, I think it's still effective and I think that it has its place. And a lot of people have told me, you know, teletherapy is, it's here to stay now, whether we like it or not, just because of, you know, the nature of the nature of things. And 
I don't know, you know, it's not something that I would choose to do forever, but I think that it has its place and that it's, you know, useful and effective. Um, yeah, so I, I had that placement in the spring. And then my second placement was just this past month in July. And my caseload was completely clients who stuttered. So it was with teenagers from about 11 to 17. Um, and it was a really unique and rewarding placement because, well, first of all, I felt really privileged to be supervised um, by my supervisor who is so, so knowledgeable and experienced um, in stuttering therapy. And then it was also nice because I got to see and experience like the full arc of therapy, like our clients from day one before they had learned any type of fluency skill or strategy um, compared to the end of my placement when they had learned all of their strategies and their confidence had increased um, and their speech had became more fluent and they had less anxieties about, about stuttering. Um, so seeing that whole transformation was really, really rewarding um, and kind of emotional actually. So that, I really liked that placement a lot. Um, yeah, and I think it's just, I don't know, it, it solidified like my interest in fluency disorders and increased my confidence too, just in just in treating those, that population. Laura, uh, um, now, now this, you know, this, you know, this is, is, you know, is, is a question for you and Caitlin. Now, you know, <laughs> you know, have a, Having been exposed now to to people who stutter, you know, especially through, you know through the Newfoundland Laboratory Stuttering Association, the the you know the you know the N N L S A collaborative and 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 uh, Caitlin with, with with you know with uh, you know some stutter law, how you know you know like uh, like in terms of giving advice to you know you know future SSLP students, how, you know, how important do you feel is, it, it, it is to, to, you know, to, to try to fully, you know, fully understand the emotional effect stuttering has on people who stutter? This I is a question for you both. Um, I think that's a really interesting, great question. And I think I kind of touched on this a little bit before, just saying that I felt really lucky to be in the position that I was like that I had worked with the NLSA before I had started my fluency placement because I mean just listening to people like you Greg talk about your experiences it really gives you a whole another perspective on what it's like to be somebody with communication challenges and you know you can read and memorize all the facts you want about risk factors or prevalence or neurophysiology and that's not going to make a difference when you have a client sitting across from you telling you about you know their personal um anxieties and the things the problems that they face because of their speech or because of other people's attitudes towards their speech um yeah so i think just like it gives you a more individualized perspective by having listened to those experiences like knowing that not every client is going to have the same goals like they're not going necessarily to want to um, reduce the amount of stuttering. It might be about um, changing their attitude towards their speech or being able to answer the phone comfortably. Um, 
So I feel like for future SLP students who are interested in fluency, like I would definitely suggest kind of getting as much of that personal experience as possible, like listening to the stories of people who stutter, whether it's through podcasts like this or people that they actually know and not just like assuming that everyone feels or thinks or wants the same things out of out of your therapy session with them. Um, yeah, Caitlin, what would you say? No, absolutely. It is, I think, so important for every everybody who's working with people who stutter to be aware of that uh, emotional component and also to be aware that it is completely individual and different for every single person. Because even if someone were to listen to one episode of this podcast, that wouldn't give them a full understanding of their clients that they're treating because everybody is so different. And so really, really realizing that you're treating a whole person and not just a disorder and every person is going to be so different. There's obviously going to be common experiences and common problems, but, but understanding that everybody is so different and focusing on that, I think is so important. And also if you're, if you're treating just the fluency, um, you're, you know, providing fluency techniques, you're doing all of that work and you're not addressing any of the emotional issues that they're facing, you're not going to have success in, in treating because if they're not in a, in a positive mindset, they're not accepting of who they are as a person and their stutter, then they're not going to be able to effectively put in the work to work towards whatever their goals may be. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. What would you say, Greg, just like coming from a personal expect perspective, like what's the most important thing uh, for speech pathologists yeah. to know? Well, you know, you know, uh, uh, it's important uh, uh, for the, the, you know, 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 the, the speech language pathologist to, 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 to to have a good understanding about the emotional component, and uh, but you see, I mean, there, there, there's you know there, there's so much to the you know the you know the emotional component of stuttering, and and, and, and you know we you know we you know we talk about the the you know the uh, the stutter iceberg. We talk about the ten percent of the stutter being above the. Uh, uh, the the you know being, you know, being the tip of the iceberg, which is the physical component, the, the you know the uh, the the blocks, the stuttering, the uh, uh, repetitions, and I mean this you know this you know this you know this is the you know this is the ten percent of the the the, uh, the stutter, but below is the you know you know ninety percent, which is the emotional component, the feelings of shame, embarrassment, anxiety, and everything. But, you know, uh, you know, like I keep saying, and, 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 and this, you know, this is where I feel the, the, the new, I mean, the, the new upcoming speech pathologists need, you know, need to, to understand. And this is my bias here. I feel that the, uh, the actual physical tip of the iceberg is not 10%, it's 1%. The 99% is the emotional component. Now you know it's you know you know you know since you know since I've I've become involved with the Newfoundland Stuttering Association, the the collaborative, and and the some you know some stutter law podcast, I'm starting to question as well. I mean we you know we you know we you know we talk as I keep saying about the emotional component, but there's different layers of the emotional component, 
which in which I feel that the the, the, the you know the new upcoming SLPs need to to understand. For example, people who stutter and others with speech, language, and communication challenges can be of any nationality, ethnic groups, gender, and sexual orientation religion and economic status. So I think, you know, I'm questioning how much work has been done in these areas when it comes to, uh, to, you know, to, you know, to working with clients who are maybe gay and lesbian, maybe, uh, you know, uh, people of color, because we know, we know we're looking at Different layers, different layers, because I mean, what you know, one, you know, like, you know, like a client can go into therapy. I mean, with, you know, you know, look, you know, look, you know, looking for uh, uh, techniques to, to try to manage their, their, you know, their stuttering. However, you know, that, you know, you know, you know, that, you know, you know, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the actual therapy may, you know, may be successful in terms of. You know, managing one's stuttering to a certain extent. The, you know, the you know the you know the you know the uh, therapist can again can also uh, uh, address the emotional component up to an extent. However, you know the you know uh, you know uh, uh, someone who uh, someone who may be LGBT plus may hide that the, that other layer during therapy. They may be too embarrassed to. To say that I'm gay or I'm a, I'm a lesbian, or you know you know like, or it may be a victim of of, of domestic violence, so it's a it's so complicated, and so so I feel that the you know the, the so, so the the actual upcoming therapists, the speech language pathologists, even and and today as well, it it actually goes beyond the lower surface of the iceberg to the feelings of shame and whatever, but there's so many layers it's almost like an onion for example and i think this can so have such an impact on the outcome of the therapy and i mean and, and you know like uh, you know like i feel bad for the speech language pathologists and the upcoming students because they just you know this 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 is you know this you know this you know this is a mammoth area to to explore and and you know and and this you know this this may take a theme like a whole team of you know like a Psychiatrists, uh, uh, psychologists, whatever. But the, uh, does it make you know that makes sense to you both? What, what I'm trying to say here. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And I think it almost comes back to like a bit of having that really good rapport and trust, like between the client, the person who stutters, and the clinician, being able to talk about those things. And then, I mean, also just knowing as an SLP, like your own scope of practice, like when when it is appropriate, like you said, to involve other members on the team. Um, you know, to really just give the most holistic therapy approach as possible to help the client as much as much as they need and as much as they want. Yeah, no, and I think it also it also speaks to something that we've spoken about a lot in a lot of different interviews that we've done on the podcast, which is the the collaborative work between speech language pathologists and other professionals such as psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, social workers, all of those different areas. Um, I think that that kind of collaborative work and that um, understanding between all of those different professions that they need to work together is something that is slowly growing, but is, is growing and something that, I mean, I know I want to focus on a lot. Um, it's kind of building that bridge between those professions. 
Um, and so I guess we'll use this as a little transition, Laura, if you maybe want to share kind of your thoughts on the importance of working with uh, psychologists, counselors, and things like that in both stuttering uh, treatment and also with in communicating. Uh, treating communication disorders in general, um, because although, I mean, although we learn as SLPs a little bit about counseling and there's obviously a lot of space for us to implement counseling techniques, sometimes it just goes beyond our scope of practice, like you said. Yeah, for sure. Um, those are some things that we've talk, talked about like in both my placement center courses, just a bit about how, while yes, it's within like a speech pathologist scope of practice to, counsel um in the realm of communication um sometimes clients have issues that go beyond that where it's not really appropriate or um you know or or of benefit to the client for us to talk to them about it because we just don't have that knowledge or expertise which i don't think is a bad thing i just don't think it's you know within our scope of practice um but i think being able to form those kind of um therapeutic relationships with your clients where there is that feeling of trust that they can tell you about the emotional um, problems that they're facing is really important. And I think that it's something that needs to be talked about um, in general, like a bit more in, in speech pathology programs, like specific counseling techniques for different kinds of communication disorders. And obviously it's very individual, something that works for one person who stutters isn't going to work for everyone who stutters and something that works for you know, somebody um, who has, aphasia isn't going to work for somebody who has, you know, any, you know, it's very individualized, but I do think that incorporating that a bit more, um, you know, counseling techniques into, into classes would be of benefit to both clinicians and clients. Hey, and something that I've always thought is, we, we always talk about how as SLPs, we, we need to, you know, emphasize counseling techniques and and teach more about counseling and uh, the emotional component, mental health and things like that, which I, I totally agree with and obviously um, support very much. But I also think that something that is neglected is training counselors and psychologists uh, in the field of kind of communication disorders and how, giving them an understanding of communication disorders and things like that, because they, there's, there's not really a, a a space for that. There's not really many counselors and psychologists out there who like not necessarily specialize, but even have any sort of understanding or awareness of communication disorders and stuttering and anything like that. So I think that that is something that would be a huge game changer in the field for sure. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I guess it just kind of goes to show like how, like, I've never even thought of that before. That's how out of the field it seems you know what i mean so that's an interesting point i like that you see as 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 a person who stutters you know like you know like i view you both as up you know upcoming shining stars with you know within the field of of you know speech pathologists because i think you know you both have more you know more more exposure i guess and with 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 you know with you know with you know with you know with the new new treatment therapies i mean the need for you know forward and and in you know in interdisciplinary approach to 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 working with a person who stutters 
And I think that you know, you know, that's you know, that's important. And so, so, so it actually gave us me more hope for you know therapists working, you know, you know, working with you know future generations of people, you know, people who stutter. However, though, I mean, this, you know, you know. Oh, I also applaud you both because I mean this, you know, 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 this is a mammoth undertaking of 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 such a career because there's so much involved to communication, speech, and language challenges. So I mean, so you know, I'm so 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 you know, you know, you know, really when all said and done, you know, like I'm I'm feel that you you both have a lot on your shoulders and but but will you know will you know will be the future trailblazers. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It's very flattering and kind. Thank you, Greg. I mean, I think it just oh. comes from a place of of wanting to help. So it doesn't feel like a huge weight. It just feels like, you know, what you want to be doing kind of. I don't know if Caitlin agrees or not, but. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it, it feels like a lot. There's a, there's a lot of things I want to do, but it doesn't feel like, oh my God, I'll have, I don't know how I'll ever be able to tackle all of this because it just it just feels like something that I I meant to do I guess as cheesy as it sounds and also because every time we talk about it with whatever guests and with Greg and with the NLSA and the collaborative and everything like that there's so much support and people recognize the need um and so I I know that no matter what I'm doing I'm going to have uh, a a big amount of support behind me so that's really comforting and kind of makes me feel like you know no matter what I try to do is whatever undertaking it may be if it's big or small or whatever I feel like I'll have that support system there that'll kind of help me through it you know at a recent a recent zoom meeting that Paul and I had with you know with a person who who stutters this you know this uh, this person uh, made an in, in, interesting comment. He said that you know, one well, you know we you know we, you know we you know by by you know by by, by ed, ed, educating you know the public about stuttering, we actually you know try to you know try to break down the 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 stigmas and stereotypes whereas he he also said that if you know there, there's you know this you know this you know this can also be a fine line you know a, a, a fine double-edged sword he was saying that you know you you can share a lot about your issues within in terms of your your mental health issues and everything however it 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 it, it, it also it also has the potential to Create more stigma in the eyes of other people. Now, what are your your thoughts about that? That's a hard one, and I don't know if I'd agree. I think that the people, I don't know. I feel like education is never misplaced, and awareness is never misplaced. And I think that the people who are going to think negative things might think like those people who even after learning more still have negative thoughts like I'm not personally equipped to change that pattern of thinking like I, I don't know what else to do because it just seems like any decent human being 
when given that opportunity to be educated and to become more accepting and aware, like it's just the natural thing to do. I mean, humans are not um, innately cruel or, you know, I, I just think, I don't know, I'm kind of blabbering here, but, but I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that education always has um, a benefit. No, I, I agree as well um, with what you're saying, Laura. I just, the one thing I do think about is, is with reducing the stigma of stuttering and people are, you know, sharing their personal experiences with mental health and mental illness and things like that. For some people, they're like, okay, like they're seeing that there's a, a problem and they want to be more caring and compassionate. But then some people, because mental health is also so stigmatized, it's just adding another layer of stigma. So that's, I think, kind of where there's kind of a, a, a blurred line a bit um, in whether or not the education and the awareness piece kind of increases the stigma or, or decreases it. Um, but it's the same, it's what you were saying, Laura, if, if, they're, if they're the type of people that are going to be stigmatizing mental health and mental illness, they're, they're not gonna reject their stigmatized views on stuttering, no matter how much education is coming their way, because that's, they're just stuck in these negative thinking patterns. You know, you, you're right uh, 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 that, you know, uh, so I think this, you know, this, you know, you know, this, uh, you know, this, you know, this is the double-edged sword when, 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 you know, the uh, people, you know, people are, are, you know, Larry about talking about their own mental health issues appear that, you know, they, you know, they may be stigmatized, you know, stigmatized further. And then, I mean, they, you know, that can happen. However, I, and I also support what, what we, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we as people who stutter need to do because we, you know, we, you know, we need to be our own advocates. You know, we need to to find our voice to to you know to educate the public about what stuttering is all about. What you know, what you know, the you know, the you know, the you know, the impact that that stuttering can have on our quality of life, in terms of our decisions, behaviors, perspectives, and but you know, as as they also you know keep saying as well that you know the more that that we talk about people start to talk about these issues and concerns, we know we also help ourselves as well because the more that 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 we we talk about we we know. Uh, you know, we we have these aha uh, uh -huh moments for things. We we learn. Okay, this is the reason why I I sort of act the way I do. This is the reason why I made some decisions. Thing, uh, things like that. You know, and if I so 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 I think it's important for people to start to. Well, I shouldn't say. I think it's it's so important that people who stutter to really come out of the closet and be and to own own to speak and own their truth. Because the more that we listen to each other. You know, the more that that we learn as well. So, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I can't speak from experience of of stuttering because I I don't have a stutter. But as somebody who has you know come to accept their own uh, mental health struggles and has decided to speak about them despite the stigma, I, I feel like the kind of I, I can't imagine how hard much harder it would be if I had that another level of stigma, you know, to speak through um, when it comes to being open about stuttering, but no matter how many, you know, negative thoughts I might face speaking about something that is so stigmatized, I would never stop it because it is so 
helpful for me to speak about my own experiences. And so I would encourage anybody, you know, if they're comfortable enough speaking about their stutter, speaking about their mental health struggles to do so, despite, you know, the fact that it might increase stigma in some weird and twisted way, because it, in some way it'll benefit you. And it might, you know, even if it benefits one other person, then why not do it? Right. Yeah, for sure. I think just like echoing what you guys said, there's definitely like power um, in telling your story. And I just wanted to say like a quick little anecdote about one of the clients I had this morning who was a client who stuttered. And I don't know if you guys know what TikTok is. It's like a very popular um, app used by kids these days. I don't know if I'm aging myself. I don't use it. (laughs) But um. Anyways, this client makes TikToks about how they're a person who stutters and like, this is just me, this is how I speak and it's part of who I am. And I think that's really cool to see from such a young kid that they're able to have that self-acceptance. It's, it's really powerful. When I uh, try to, 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 to explain what stuttering is, you know, we, you know, we, you know, uh, we often use, you know, use the analogy of, 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 of the, the stutter iceberg. But, 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 but I had, had to develop another analogy called, you know, which I call the stutterer's web. You know, we, we know what, you know, what a spider's web is. And, but so, so when, you know, when I think, the, Think about the the you know, when I think about the below the surface of the the, the iceberg, the, the the actual spider's web you know comes to my mind because the spider's web is that the the person who who stutters is in that web, and, and surrounding this this the person who stutters the feelings of anxiety, frustration, anger, and everything. So so it's a constant struggle trying to trying to get out of that web. You know, so so I feel that you know that you know that you know that helps to, to 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 explain it a little bit as well what stuttering is. And also, I mean, because we you know, you know, because a person who who you know who you know who stutters or you know likes trying to hide these feelings as well when you know when one is trying to say a few words, that you know the. The, 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 you know, the, the, another, you know, another, you know, another analogy that comes to mind, my mind is, you know, when you know, when you know, when we have a storm, the the the, the hydro poles fall down, and then you know, you have all these services trying to 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 fix the power and things like that. So that you know that you you know that you know that often reminds me of of because of all these emotions inside the person who starts trying to hide avoid you know just you know, just trying to 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 hide sharing this uh, these feelings so so I think it's almost like similar to we're on, on on constant life support you know what I mean so which means that I mean the uh, the uh, the you know the the you know the uh, the you know the uh, the hundred people that are trying to 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 put in temporary power. But it's almost like similar to you know a person who stutters quality of life because you, when 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 we're always trying to hide and you know avoid situations we're not really living so it's just almost like uh, uh, it's 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 sort of partial living sort of thing you know does uh, uh, you know does this analogy help help as well to explain it 
I think so, definitely. And I think just having those analogies on hand is really awesome because a lot of people in the general public who are just are like, you know, of no fault of their own, just, you know, genuinely ignorant towards stuttering and what it's like and how it feels and all the different components, being able to relate it back to something that they do understand is pretty crucial and in, in helping them kind of bridge that gap into becoming an ally. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, and so with that, I feel like we've been talking for so long. And I mean, I know from my personal experience, I could talk to Laura for hours. Um, but uh, I feel like maybe we should clue it up. We'll probably, you know, we can bring Laura back on the podcast another time. I can tell her she has to come on and then she'll show up. That's oh, kind of that's kind of yeah. how this happened. I just said, hey, Laura, we're going to interview you. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> and so um, before we close, I'm wondering, Laura, if there's anything that we didn't cover that you want to say, anything that you wanted to add, anything like that? Um, I think it was pretty comprehensive. I don't know if I have anything else um, to add, but I just wanted to say thank you very much for having me on. And just for Greg, um, you've been such an awesome like source of information and experience throughout like the past year and a half, however long it's been, I can't remember. It's been a bit of a blur, um, but really listening to your experiences, I think has helped me, um, you know, develop my own skill set and empathy for people who stutter and just growing as, as a future clinician. So thank you. And thank you guys for interviewing me today. Well, thank you, Laura. You know, you know, just a, just the the one last thing when you when you you know when we did our our season you know season finale of of some sort of law we you know we actually talked about and and it really hit hit home when you know when you know we you know you know when you know when we talked about some sort of law is you know some sort of law has has created a safe place for people who started to to own and speak their truth and i think this is you know this you know this is what what, what you know what what uh, you know some sort of law has, you know you know has been so successful what, what, you know, what are your thoughts caitlin no i i definitely agree i think that we have created a safe space for both people who don't stutter, who, you know, have something to say, but they don't know where to say it. And then people who stutter, who need a place to express themselves and to share their stories and their experiences. I think we've created a space for, for anybody who has something to say about stuttering to speak and to, to share what they want to say. And, you know, one last thing as well, and I'll let, you know, let you know, let, let you both go is if, that thank you both very much for you know for you know for agreeing to you know to you know to you know to be part of the Bob Kroll you know Center for Stuttering and Speech, you know that you know that you know as you know as you both know this you know this you know this this is my personal vision and I feel that there's a definite need and it's going to take some time but. The more support that that you know that you know that we have you know like I foresee that it will come come to fruition down the road you know so so the the, the, the thanks again and and and, 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 and uh, thanks again Laura for your for your time this morning you know as as, as I always keep saying to to Caitlin I'm always learning as well just by listening to 
of all, all, all upcoming speech language pathologists, you know, and our, all, all of our guests. So thank you and, and, and the best of luck. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Some Stutter Love, Newfoundland and Labrador's first podcast about stuttering has so much to talk about. Let's start listening. This has been an episode of Some Stutter La, Newfoundland and Labrador's first podcast about stuttering. Some Stutter La is hosted and produced by Greg O'Grady, Caitlin Mayo, Emily Murphy, Dr. Paul Decker, Melanie Crane, and Luca Dinu. Some Stutter La is available on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. You can also check out Some Stutter La channel on YouTube. To ask a question, send us a comment or suggestion, or just get in touch, find us online at Some Stutter Podcast on Instagram or Some Stutter Love Pod on Facebook. Thanks for listening.